are you out there? Anybody got a Bible? Yes, right here. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5 tonight. Let's kind of just enjoying the afterglow of worship. Probably use some light up here. I don't know if we paid our bill, but you never know for a minute you think you're getting old, and the next minute you think, there it is. So, Father, we thank you tonight for this study. We thank you that we can come here in the middle of the week and worship you and find refreshment in your presence. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd open up the word to us tonight, that you'd encourage us and uh, give us wisdom, Lord, and reveal yourself, Lord, through the word to us. And cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, the scripture reveals Jesus. You're in the Old Testament, you're in the New Testament, you're in Genesis, you're in Revelation. Father, we just ask that you would give us a clearer picture of who you are, who, who Jesus is in our life, and that we would leave here liberated by your word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 5. The Apostle Paul uh, addressing the Corinthians here. There's little rifts in the church that are questioning Paul's apostolic authority. Like in any organization, like in any church, there's power struggles, and they were not absent in the body of Christ from the initiation of the church. And uh, we look at Paul and all his writings and all his epistles and think, what an amazing man of God. But there are his contemporaries that wanted to get him out of the way, that wanted to replace him, that were excited once he got imprisoned. So realize the church has always been made up of people. Any people out there tonight? Amen. So people can be interesting at times. I'll just say that. Verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if you are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you are partners in our suffering. So also you are in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters of our affliction, which occurred in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we could not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who rescued us from so great a danger of death and will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. If you also join in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for, fa for the favor granted to us through the prayers of many. So there's a lot in there. Paul's addressing the Corinthians. He's thanking them. He's informing them of what they were going through. How many understand Paul's missionary journeys were, uh, while they were incredibly evangelistic and productive, they were perilous. And, you know, when Jesus said he sent out his disciples as, you know, sheep among the wolves, it, when Jesus was gone, he knew it would even be more dangerous. 
The spirit of Antichrist operates in the world, and any time the church tries to advance itself, there's a pushback from the enemy. And Paul felt this in such an amazing way. In verse 5, he starts about talking about his sufferings. Now, he continues here giving testimony to his trials and afflictions, and he gives these testimonies for the purpose of informing those in Corinth, but also to validate his apostolic authority. Remember, there were those that said, Paul, your life is too much of a mess. You have too much hardship. You are going through too much junk to have God with you. And they actually questioned the fact that, you know, is this man really called? Is he anointed? Is he really, you know, in God's favor? Look at his life. It looks like a mess. You might be going through a lot of stuff today, and maybe people look at you and think, man, if they're a Christian, I don't want to sign up. But understand, you know what? The presence of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we are called of God and the blessing of God can rest on us simultaneously while we endure all kinds of troubles in this life. And Paul's out to prove that. He's out to validate his apostolic authority. He's talking about his sufferings here. Verse 5 points out the relationship between abundant suffering and comfort. Look what it says. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Isn't that something? What a statement that is. If there's anything you don't want an abundance of, suffering, bills, taxes, right? There's a couple things you don't want an abundance of. He says, you know, we have abundance of suffering, but we also have an abundance of comfort through Christ Jesus. So he's showing the the balancing act that happens between this. You know, the more suffering we do, the more trials we go through, the more, you know, pain we feel in our bodies, in our spirits, in our emotions, the more God comforts us as we go through it. Why? Because he's ordered our steps. Good. If God leads you into something, even if it's not comfortable, he will comfort you in it. Amen. Don't be afraid. Don't shrink back. Don't pray for an easy life. Pray that you'll be able to do the will of God. Well, it looks like it's going to be hard. Yeah, but it's in those hard places that we feel the tenderness of his presence and that we feel the comfort of his Holy Spirit. This is the same principle we see in Romans 5.20. It says here in Romans 5.20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Listen, but where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You see that? More sin, more grace. More trials, more comfort. It's the way God works, amen? We, we would rather not have the trials. We would rather not have the discomfort. But listen, we're never going to experience the fullness of God's provision in the easy place. We're never going to experience that on the mountaintop. How many, how many times have you been on the mountaintop wishing that you could just build a house there and stay there? Come on, anybody remember some of those mountaintop experiences with the presence of God? Oh, I just want to stay here. And God's like, you know, you'll stay immature if you stay here. So I'm going to lead you back out into the valley. And, you know, we're going to go through some tough places and tough climbs, but I'm going to be with you. So Paul's making this point here that, you know, uh, as sin abounds, grace much more abounds. As trials and affliction abound, uh, the comfort of God abounds. We often feel the presence of God most when we're going through the darkest places. How many have been in some real dark places and you felt the presence of God so strong? Can I just be honest with you? There's times where we go through really dark places and we don't feel anything at all. How many can relate to that? See, that's the other side of the coin, and that also produces maturity in us. 
Oh, God, if I feel it, if I got the goosebumps, if, if you know I got the Holy Ghost and, and, I, and I can feel everything in your presence, then I'm good. But if I don't feel anything, then I'm not going forward. Sometimes you and I have to go forward even when we don't feel anything in me. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't walk by feelings. It's good to feel his presence, amen? But I think sometimes he withdraws his presence just so we can, you know, become mature. I don't like it any more than you do. But uh, I'm just reporting the news here. Verse 6, Paul highlights the link between what he's suffering and how it's actually uh, paying off as comfort for the body of Christ. Now, Paul had a very real sense that what he was going through wasn't just, you know, injustice or it wasn't just affliction or it wasn't just about him, but he realized what he was doing was setting the foundation of the early church. So he saw his suffering as not just for Paul, but it was beneficial for the body. Why? Because he's laying the groundwork. He's laying the foundation. He's laying the pillars of the early church with his missionary journeys, with his evangelism to the Gentiles, with his preaching of the gospel and writing two-thirds of the New Testament. He realized what he's going through is for a purpose. The greatest mistake we make in life is thinking it's all about us and that our suffering is in a, in a vacuum and it's just us going through it and we're all alone and it's us against the world. Everything God allows us to go through has a purpose. Paul knew his purpose and he knew his suffering was blessing the body of Christ. It was laying a foundation. The fact that the early church forefathers, especially the apostles, laid a foundation for us is an example, you know, for us to how we should live our spiritual walk. And it's actually made our spiritual walk easy. That's what Hebrews 12.1 means when it says that great cloud of witnesses. See, there's people who laid the foundation for us. Aren't you thankful for the apostles and the early church fathers, amen? Amen, because you and I wouldn't be where we are today without the foundation that they laid. Listen to Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these incredible men and women of God that went before us, who lived the faith, who laid the foundation, listen, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, they paved the way so we can run. They climbed the rocks. They climbed the mountains. They went through the dark valleys. They were in prison. They got beat. They were martyred. But that paved the way for us to run. We don't have much of an excuse. Oh, it's too hard to be a Christian now. I think we got it pretty easy here in the West. Really, if you can't serve God in this little blessed bubble that we're in right now, I don't know what to tell you when God removes the restrainer and all hell breaks loose. Thank God for the early forefathers. Thank God for Paul. Thank God that he knew what he was doing was not just, uh, you know, him suffering for no apparent reason. It was laying a foundation. You know, we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. But we should take our anointing and our calling seriously. We shouldn't walk around like, well, you know, I'm Paul Jr. I'm Jesus Jr. I'm the assistant to the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys are so young in the Lord that you don't even know that there's people like that. 
God bless you. I hope you never meet any. But, you know, we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously, but we should take the call of God on our lives seriously. We should take the path that he asks us to walk seriously. Why? Because it's not just about us. It's laying the foundation for the next generations. You and I got to run the race and raise up the next generation and pass the baton, amen? Paul understood, uh, you know, that the way he lived was impacting future generations. Verse 7 All of us should see ourselves as being in partnership with those in the body of Christ. We're a body. We all work together. We all affect one another. Listen to verse 7. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as your partners in our as as you are partners in our suffering, so also you are in our comfort. So there again, Paul is showing the relationship and the connection between, you know, the fivefold ministries, the apostles, uh, the, the people who are doing the evangelism and the church body. Do you see what? They're partners together. Amen. You, are you, you like this or no? <laughs> You're like, no, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, well, we're, we're connected to each other. You know, that missionary that's out there, when we send Charles out, we're connected to Charles, right? We're connected to the Gambia. Some of us don't get to go. Some of us are not called to go, but we're connected through prayer and our support. And, and you know, Paul understood that relationship, and he wants to make it clear to us. Some of us can't go evangelize certain places. We can't have a full-time missionary call. We're, some of us are not called to full-time ministry, but we're all in this together, partners amen we've got to see the body of christ as partnership how many times have you looked at people and they you know they're on the mission field they're like i'm glad i'm not there because it looks scary and it looks tough and it looks hard and you think wow thank god i got called to america come on loosen up wednesday night you know people are getting out of bible school and they're graduating and god call me to hawaii please hawaii no no Hawaii, New Yorkistan, there you go, you know, but we're all in this together. We're, when, when, when Paul was blessed, when Paul had breakthrough, when Paul had a good testimony, a good report, it encouraged the body of Christ, and he, he's recognizing the symbiotic relationship there. We're all connected. Um, you know, we've got to see ourselves in partnership with leaders in the body of Christ, with evangelists, with missionaries, with the fivefold ministries. When someone's suffering, our brothers and sisters in foreign countries, you know, there's entire ministries that minister to the persecuted church. Maybe some of us don't even realize this, but a large percentage of the church is under persecution. It's not, you're not allowed to be a Christian in some Middle Eastern countries. You're not allowed to serve God in China. You can be arrested. You can be in prison. I was just listening on, on the radio. There's uh, some laws within the Constitution of Bangladesh that prohibit people from proselytizing. So they use these laws to persecute Christians who preach the gospel. You know, there, there's no law against us preaching the gospel. There's no law against us coming to church. It's, it's amazing. America has no excuse. Yet, many in the body of Christ suffer persecution. When they hurt, we hurt. We've got to care about them. We've got to pray for them. We've got to support them as much as we can. 
So that's part of the connection. Uh, when the trials abound, well, the comfort abounds. It was a great comfort to Paul that those in the local churches had partnered with him. You know, these local bodies were supporting Paul, not just the material things and necessities while he's, you know, being persecuted, while he's doing missionary journeys, while he's eventually in prison. But, you know, they were connected with him and he felt that. If you've ever gone through a dark place, if you've ever gone through a lonely place, and you know that your brothers and sisters are praying for you, there's a comfort there. When, when I had my heart event two months ago, and you know I was down for the count, within minutes, Kim had gotten on the, on the prayer line there, and people were praying for me all over the world literally in Africa, Australia, all around the United States. And let me, let me tell you something. I felt those prayers. And those prayers made a difference. Why? Because the enemy loves to isolate us and make us feel like we're alone. But when the body of Christ rallies around each other, amen, and we comfort one another, there's great power and comfort in that. Paul felt that he, he knew these guys were for him. He knew they were with him. He knew that they'd be there in his time of need, and so that comfort him. Unfortunately, many times we feel all alone in a lot of situations in life. How many of you be honest enough uh, in church to say there's times where I felt all alone, where I know that, you know, everybody says, well, you're never alone. God's with you. The Holy Spirit's with you. You know, your mother still loves you. But there's times where we don't feel connected to any of that. And we feel all alone. That's when we really have to tap in to the presence of God. That's when we really have to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In those moments, I think he lets us feel alone a lot of times just so we'll seek him with a little more intensity, just so there'll be a little desperation in our prayers. Desperate prayers move God. And unfortunately, desperate prayers don't come until we're in desperate places. So we need to be in this together. We need to be connected. We need to rally around those who are hurting in the body of Christ, not just to feel empathy toward them, but to partner with them in prayer, to give them support, material support, whatever the Holy Spirit leads. Why? Because the body of Christ is connected. Now, verses 8 through 11 here, Paul lists the current example in his life, uh, of how those in Corinth had partnered with him in his great trials. It seemed like from the moment Paul got saved, he went from one trial to the next. And we mentioned that and talked about all of what he'd been through. But these guys partnered with him, and he's given some, you know, details here. Verses 8 through 11 is what we're going to try and finish up tonight. But Paul lists, you know, a current example. Remember, there were those in the body of Christ at the time that weren't convinced that Paul was called by God and were making trouble for him. They were like Job's friends. They insisted God wouldn't let him go through all this trouble if he hadn't done something wrong. You know, what did Job's friends do? They listened to him, they comforted him, they sat with him, and then they got tired of it and they started throwing accusations at him. Come on, God is just. God, is, God wouldn't let you go through this. You must have done something wrong. Come on, Job, what is it? Fess up, we're tired of sitting here with you. This is, you know, this is cutting into our schedule here. You ever have friends like that? They're there for just a little bit of time, but not through the thick of it. 
And so they begin to hurl accusations at him, and Paul suffers much of the same thing. He'd done nothing wrong. God was definitely with him. The call of God was on his life. He was an apostle called by God, set apart, filled with the Holy Spirit, yet there's resistance here. Remember, those in the body of Christ, there will always be those in the body of Christ that offer resistance to the move of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Oh, you know, we got to watch out for the devil. We got to watch out for the, the world. We got No, sometimes it's inside the body. The wheat grow with the tares. And the tares always complain and the tares always bring accusation and the tares always resist the genuine sovereign move of God. The tares don't mind programs. The tares don't mind, you know, structure and order, but they don't have any capacity to tolerate the move of the Holy Spirit. Paul was moving in the spirit, and there was opposition there. Never spin things in order to pacify those who've come to wrong conclusions about you. That was worth being here for tonight. Never spin things to pacify those who come to wrong conclusions about you. Oh, you're this and you're that, or you're full of pride, or you're off base, or you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. People always bring a judgment. And sometimes we think we have to, you know, we have to bend over backwards. We have to condescend to that. We have to defend ourselves. We got to spin something to make them feel comfortable with us. Please don't do that. When people come to wrong conclusions about us, we don't have to defend ourselves. Paul defends his apostolic authority, but he's not about defending Paul. He's, he's humble in every way. And we need to be, and we also need to not care so much about people who've come to wrong conclusions about us. In verse 8, Paul details the horrific affliction he and his team had endured in Asia. Listen, for we no doubt want you to be aware. So full disclosure here, brothers and sisters, of our affliction which occurred in Asia so that we were burdened excessively, listen, beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now, that sounds nice almost. It sounds almost like Shakespeare. We despaired of life. That means we, we, it was so rotten, we wish we would die. Have you ever been in such a rotten place that you, you were a little afraid that you would die, but more afraid that you wouldn't? I mean, this is bad, right? I don't even want to go through this. Take me home. I know as people get older, I've heard seniors and people who get older in the Lord say this, God, just take me home. There's certain people that are wondering, what am I doing here? quiet, man. You know, all you young people out there, I see, I don't have my glasses on, but I'm just trusting, you know, you're still enjoying life. But there's times where it gets heavy. And Paul said, it got so heavy that we despaired of life, which means if we, if we died right then, it would have been okay with us. You know, and really, all of us are going to get to places like that in life. And whether we like it or not, we're going to come there and experience the, the comfort and the goodness of God, and he's going to preserve us. So, you know, I want to say something about being in hard places. We can't white-knuckle our way through life. A lot of us do this. We try to make it by our own grit. Do you know what happens when we go through stuff and we just try to white-knuckle it? We just try to, you know, go get a burst of adrenaline and kind of coat. You know what God does? He extends it. Because it's designed not to make us rely on ourselves. It's designed to break us until we rely on him. 
If you're going through something and you're trying to white knuckle it, you're trying to keep it together, you're trying to do whatever you can to endure it, stop and let God break you. I know that's not an easy word. I know you'd rather have me tell you that we're going to pray for you and lay hands on you and make it go away tonight. But that doesn't produce maturity. God's not interested in producing babies who need to get everything they need when they cry for it. He's interested in producing mature saints that look like Jesus, that can look at the cross and go, not my will, but yours be done. Well, if this cup can pass from me, but if it can, if this is the only way, then not my will, but yours be done. See, that's maturity. That's the place where we need to come to in life. Paul details these afflictions, and he was like, it was so bad, we, we couldn't deal with it, and we, 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 if we would have died right then, it would have been fine with us. Burdened excessively beyond our strength. Think about that. He's saying we couldn't take it. It's okay to be there sometimes. You don't have to white-knuckle your way through everything. You don't have to spin things to make it sound like it's okay. Uh, Paul is very honest about what they were going through. Beyond our strength, we despaired of life. In verse 9, things were so bad, there was zero room for self-confidence. This is the place where God's trying to bring many of us. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Think about that. That's heavy, isn't it? That means they were, they were certain they were going to die. It was, it was a rough world out there. It, it, was, it was dangerous on the mission field where they were. You know, it's dangerous in our country right now. Uh, you know, 40 people were shot over the weekend in Detroit. Three of them died. It's more dangerous in some urban cities within the states now than it was in Afghanistan. You were more likely to get shot there than you were on the battlefield. Perilous times, rough situations, dark places. Uh, you know, some of us don't even realize it, but there's a lot of that going on in this world. And Paul is like, you know, it was a really tough spot for us to be in. And it brought us to the place where we had no confidence in ourselves. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we could not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Did you hear that? That's the place that the Holy Spirit's trying to bring a lot of us to where we put no confidence in the flesh. You know, some of us can get through it. Some of us can pay our way through it. Some of us can white knuckle. Some of us can compromise just enough to get through things. Come on, I'm preaching tonight. And, you know, God's like consistently having to turn up the heat until we learn the lesson. Uh, at this age, at 54, I'm trying to learn my lessons the first time. I don't like walking around the mountain over and over again. I don't like going in circles in the wilderness. And so he's trying to teach us some things, and one of them is not to rely on ourselves, to put no confidence in the flesh, to renew confidence in our own intellect, our own abilities, our own wisdom, but to just be totally dependent on him. Look at, you know, we have the sentence of death upon us. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, you know, we had no hope of living, but we serve the God, what, who raises the dead. Did you hear that? I had death on me, but I serve a God who brings dead things to life. Amen. That, that's what Paul's saying here. 
They felt like dead men walking. They, they had gotten to the place where they had no hope of surviving whatever situation they were in. You know, I've read stories about uh, special forces, combat uh, veterans that were in such harsh uh, combat environments that they resigned themselves to the fact that they were going to die. And I've read this more than one time about SEALs and Green Berets. They were in such horrific conditions, no communications, cut off, nobody knew where they were, and they resigned themselves to the fact that they were dead. And they said, once you accepted that, you could fight one minute at a time and survive one minute at a time. Wow. It's quite a place to come to. It's a place that Many of us may never come to, but Paul said that's exactly where we were. And I want you to know we went through it, and we, serve, we were as good as dead, but we serve a God who raises the dead. You know, and many times God allows us to go through things incrementally. You know, uh, if we got hit with everything at once, if God removed the protection off of us and removed and allowed the enemy just to have at us, you know, the only reason we're here standing upright in our right minds in the house of God tonight is because of the blood of Jesus that covers us. We have an enemy that would totally destroy us if he got the opportunity. The Holy Spirit of God restrains him. But Paul said it was rough. We wish for death. You know, we serve a God who raises the dead. And that's something I want to encourage you. You know, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you look at in your life that you think there's no hope of reviving that, there's no hope of bringing that back to life. You know, uh, God can raise those things up that we think are impossible. We serve a God who does the impossible. Lazarus was in the grave for days, and Jesus walked up and said, roll a stone away, and I love it. You know, his sister says "But in the King James, but Lord, he stinketh. He's in there. He's decomposing. He's rotting. Don't move the stone away. Jesus says, roll the stone away. He calls Lazarus dead for days. Come, come forth, and he comes forth. Because that's the God we serve. Are there dead things in your life that need to be raised back to life? Maybe your faith, maybe your hope, maybe your joy needs a resurrection. Maybe your love for the body of Christ, maybe your love for the things of God needs to be resurrected. Maybe the, the call of God on your life, maybe the hopes and dreams you had. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent, with a child, with a spouse that looks like it's irrevivable, but, but, but God can raise it back to life. Even if by our own estimation, it's as good as dead, we serve a God who raises dead things. Verse 10 shows that Paul has seen God be both his rescuer and his deliverer. This is what Paul experienced in, in these dark places. He says, who rescued us, he's talking about God, who rescued us from so great a danger of death that, that and will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. So I want you to see a few things in there. It says, who rescued us, and will rescue us, and he will yet deliver us. What is in that verse 10 is that Paul is showing that, you know, the, the faithfulness of God in our lives is a comprehensive package. It covers our past, our present, and our future. 
He rescued, will rescue, he will yet deliver us. Do you see that? Our past, our present, and our future. Well, God did some great things for me, but I don't know if he's going to do it for me today. Well, God got me through today, but I'm a little fearful of tomorrow. Do you know we can trust him to be faithful to us in our past, our present, and our future? And Paul experienced that. All of us who've been through the fire know that that's true. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, come on, some of you have been walking with the Lord for decades. And you know what? If you stop and think and just get quiet before the Lord, the Holy Spirit will show each and every one of us that God never failed us. He never let us down. He never abandoned us. He never turned his back on us. He's always been there. He, and he always will. He got us through our past. You know, it's a miracle some of you are here tonight that you made it through your past. (laughs) You know, it wasn't too long ago I was out. No heartbeat, no breath in my lungs. But I'm here preaching to you tonight because God is faithful, amen? And And I have... I've seen his faithfulness in my life over and over in miraculous ways to the point where God forgive me if I don't have great faith in him that I would trust him in everything. That when he says jump, I jump. Man, I have no excuse at this point. Mm. He's been faithful. He rescued. He will rescue. He will yet deliver us a comprehensive package of faithfulness that God gives us. All of us who've been through the fire know his faithfulness. Don't run away from the fire. Don't run away from the battle. Don't run away from the storm. It's where we meet him and experience his goodness and his faithfulness, and it galvanizes something in us where we can trust him no matter what. Verse 11, it says this, if you also join in helping us through your prayers, there again, there's that connection, the, the, the joining. He's asking them to, you know, not only partner with him, but join what? In praying for them so that many thanks may be given by many persons in our behalf for the favor granted to us through the prayers of many. So I'm going to close with this here. Verse 11 is an apostolic reminder to us of the faith-building power of prayer. You know, it's so incredible. The longer I serve God, and I've been serving God since I'm 14, thank God, never walked away, never backslid, got saved, and been running after him, and, and that's my testimony. But, you know, sometimes, you know, we go through dry spells. Sometimes we we go through hard places. Sometimes we question a lot of things, but we have to remember it's the basics. I'm telling you, if we'll pray and read the word of God, he'll be able to keep us. Now, I know there is a pause there because that doesn't sound all that sophisticated. Oh, pastor, show us a deep principle of the faith. Read your Bible. Oh, show us the depths of communion with God. Pray. We never, I wish I had something better for you. 
but it's the basics. L- listen, and if you're, if you're sitting there looking at me and you're like, well, I ain't praying, I ain't reading my Bible, and I'm wondering why my walk is, you know, it, it's a little bit dull, it's a little bit uneventful, it's a little bit boring, because we need to get in those those two avenues there so it stirs up something in our life so it it begins to connect us to the flow of what's going on in the body of Christ in the kingdom of God in the spiritual realm Paul was saying he's highlighting this look I know you guys are praying for me and that that connects us that partners us together and that joins us So it's more than us just praying for ourselves and praying for our situation and praying for our family. God bless us for no more. No, we got to broaden our prayers. Amen? And as we do that, you know, it'll build our faith. When we partner with other believers, other ministers, other ministries in prayer, and God answers those prayer, the blessings that were associated with those exploits become blessings for us. Why? Because we're invested. There again, I'll go back to, to the Gambia or any other mission field or anything we sow into as a church. You know, when we sow our time and our energy and our prayers, you know, when, when God moves and there's breakthroughs there and there's salvations there and there's baptisms there and there's church plantings there, that's part of our blessings for us to enjoy, amen? Why? Because we're invested. And you see, if we won't invest ourselves in prayer, we're not going to feel connected. We're not going to feel like we're a partner. And we're not going to enjoy the, the, the afterflow and the aftershock of the blessings. The more you and I invest ourselves in kingdom things, the more blessings we enjoy in life. You know, the saddest Christian is the one who won't serve his purpose, who won't go to church, who won't give, who won't, you know, serve and, and just kind of, you know, exists. Sadly, a lot of people, that's how much they want to be involved with the kingdom. But Paul says, you guys are connected to me. You guys have partnered with me. I know you're praying for me. And when I give a good report, when we hear breakthroughs, when you hear about the salvations, you're going to be blessed by those things. Paul knew if he could get the body of Christ praying, two things would happen. Number one, their faith and devotion to God and his kingdom would increase. Why? Because when we invest ourselves, we receive the you know, the blessing and our, when we, when we pray and God answers the prayer, you know, how many, how many people can say, you know, there's been times where you prayed and you knew that God answered in such a way that you'll never forget what he did. Come on. Amen. And once God does that for you, there's nobody can tell you a prayer doesn't work or don't bother to pray or God doesn't answer or God's not involved. Once we know that we know that we know because God, we, we invested ourselves and God proved himself to us. Come on. And Paul knew if he could get us praying, you know what? I, I believe we need a revival in the church of prayer. That if we'll begin to pray and invest ourselves in kingdom things, we're going to see God move out of the box that we like to keep him in. Amen. The second thing Paul knew that if he could get the body of Christ to pray was that they'd experience the joy of seeing God come through every time. You know, God comes through, so not sometimes in the way we think he should or is going to, but he always comes through. 
And when we pray, you know, we see what unfolds and we see how God works and it does encourage our faith, but it also produces joy in us to know that the God of heaven bows his ear and listens to just a little nothing like me. Isn't he busy? Yeah, he's busy. Doesn't he got other things to do? He's got lots of things to do. But he listens to the cries of his children, and he answers the prayer of his saints. And so we need to invest ourselves in prayer. Paul understood if you also join in helping us through your prayers, he wanted to get them praying. He wanted to get them invested. Perhaps the greatest shame of prayerlessness is that we abort our own opportunity to see God's amazing faithfulness. I'm gonna say that one more time. Perhaps the greatest shame of prayerlessness is that we abort our own opportunity to see the amazing faithfulness of our God. When we invest ourselves in prayer, we get to see God come through. If we don't bother to pray, we don't experience that. And and we abort that in our lives. And so Paul was being honest about what he was going through. He knew that there was an undertow that wanted to attack him. He didn't try and spin it and say, well, everything's great. We're not going through anything. No, he's real. He shares the depths and the darkness of being in situations that made him wish for death but at the same time, showing the move of the Holy Spirit and the fruit that was happening in the ministry. The world was being turned upside down for the gospel. The Gentiles were being brought into the kingdom of God. And you and I are here today because of what Paul did and the foundation that he laid. Amen. Let's give God some praise tonight. We're going to stop here for the week. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for this book and for every morsel of your word, Lord. To us, it's life, it's strength. Uh, Lord, we pray that everything we heard tonight, God, that it would be rooted in our hearts, that you would tuck it into our spirits. Father, that we would have an understanding of these great mysteries about being connected, about the body of Christ, about uh, prayer and communion and experiencing the faithfulness of God in our past, our present, and our future. Father, there's so much in there for us. Lord God, I pray that as you've revealed yourself to us tonight, we each begin to know you just a little bit better. And I pray in my life and in the life of my brothers and sisters that we would get an unquenchable hunger and thirst to pray, to read the word, and to seek the things of your kingdom. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.